Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Welcome back or welcome to Up My Hockey. Uh, so proud and, and happy to present today's guest is Andy Delmore, an ex-teammate of mine from the Mannheim Adler in the DEL, the, the top league in Germany. Uh, we played together for one season there and and Andy brings with him just a wealth of experience. 15 years pro, 283 uh, regular season games in the NHL with the Flyers, the Predators, the Sabres and the Blue Jackets. Uh, we talk about his junior career with North Bay Centennials and the Sarnia Sting. Also, his progression from the AHL into the into the NHL and into his first pro contract, and and some of his successes, and like leading the league, the NHL in goals as a defenseman, tied with Lidstrom and Gonchar in 02 and 03 to still holding his rookie record uh, for a defenseman to score a hat trick in the NHL playoffs. Um, from his time traded to Buffalo, where Andy really gets into the mental struggle he had uh, dealing with that trade and trying to perform in that environment. And and he just uh, is real vulnerable and real open about his career, uh, where he got to and where he's ended up now, which is as the assistant coach at the East Coast Hockey League level with uh, with Toledo. So this is a great interview. Uh, I really, really appreciate Andy spending some time with us here today. And and once again, there's a lot of value for uh, for hockey players, either uh, trying to get somewhere or trying to get to that next level or for parents uh, or fans that just want to know what it is like uh, to, to try and play on the biggest stage. So without further ado, I bring you Andy Delmore. All right, we are live up my hockey podcast with Jason Padone, and I'm here with Mr. Andy Delmore, and I'm smiling already because uh, Andy and I have a little history. We go back to Mannheim in the DEL, where we were both single at the time, both in a new country, and we ended up being thick as thieves and ran around Mannheim like we owned the place. So. Uh, we ended up connecting um, back at the NHL Coaches Conference, um, and we've been in touch ever since. But uh, boy, life's go separate directions now. Now Andy's got a couple couple girls of his own. I have three boys, and we're definitely in different spots. But it's awesome to reconnect. So Andy, thanks so much for coming and sharing your experiences with us. Thanks for having me, and uh, you know it was great seeing you again at the Coaches Clinic. Reconnect, like you said, thick as thieves through. Uh, <laughs> Through lots of time there in Mannheim, uh, you know, finding ourselves and seeing what life was all about. Yeah, no kidding. It's interesting, actually, because I was looking at your rap sheet here, meeting your uh, hockey DB, right? Where you've been, what you've been up to. Uh, and even at the time, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I wasn't – I didn't really know much about your history, right? It's It, it seemed like – Wherever we landed, because we, you were on a lot of teams, I was on a lot of teams, you just sort of found somebody and uh, and you connected. And it wasn't like we went through old war stories about your time in the NHL or why you were in Mannheim or any of that stuff. We were just hanging out, kind of. Did you find that was sort of the way it was with you wherever you went? Uh, I found out that year for sure because, uh, you know, it was the lockout. We were just kind of, you know, as you know, through the regular season there, we weren't very good. Yeah. Like. We were an average team. We were just, you know, living our lives, uh, 
kind of seeing the world, taking trips, doing our things. So I guess once the playoffs hit that year, I guess that's when we kind of hockey was uh, finally important, I guess you could say. Not that we didn't care during the year. It just we really ramped it up once the playoffs hit that year. Yeah, it was a different feel over there. Maybe we'll get into that time in Europe and, you know, why, why, we, why we ended over ended up over there. Um, good hockey, but, yeah, it's just sort of a different – I think there's a different mindset about the hockey over there. At least there was, at least there was for me when I was there. But let's get back into you. And um, as you know, we talked just briefly before we came on, just kind of about what this, what this podcast is about. It's more about the journey. It's more about um, how you got to where you got to you know, the good and the bad, uh, and, and, and now your experience as a coach. So we want to have, we want to have the takeaways from this be, uh, you know, how do we become good at anything? Right. And, and, and on this platform, this arena of hockey, where, where we got a lot of young kids that want to try and make to this place called the NHL, that Mm -hmm. seems like an awesome place to be. Um, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hurdles along the way. There's a lot of speed bumps um, and there's different ways to navigate it. And there's also many, many, many different paths. And, uh, and I, what I like about you and where I want to start is in junior um, and we'll get to your draft years. I think that's super compelling, but how did you even end up in the OHL? Uh, I guess out of, uh, I played junior B as a 15, 16 year old in uh, Chatham, Ontario, uh, so I actually moved away from home at that age. It was only an hour away, but without no driver's license yet, uh, I actually had to move there. And then I actually got a little homesick, to be honest. So uh, there was another kid on the team from uh, LaSalle, Ontario, where I'm from, and he was driving. So I actually moved back home for second semester of school and just kind of did the commute that year. Uh, like you said, it's hard at a young age to move, 15, uh, no driver's license, you know, it's uh it come at you pretty quick sure um so from there i ended up uh getting drafted in the fifth round by the north bay centennials um which i didn't know much about obviously being from southern ontario and uh i made i had a real good uh, summer camp uh made the team uh that year and uh it kind of just got rolling from there i didn't have a great first year uh didn't play that much um but you know when you're practicing with better players you eventually uh, get up to speed. Sure. Sure. Well, let, let's backtrack just a little bit to 15. Cause I think that's a big question mark for a lot of my listeners. Um, some guys are trying to get to the, you know, yeah, they want to get to the NHL, but they got to play junior first. Right. And, and mm-hmm. how to, and how to navigate that. And parents are worried about, you know, it wins too early or wins too young. And what about the billets? And just walk us through that a little bit. Like you said, 15 is young. You're away from home. You're amongst 19, 20 year old men. Yep. Yep, um, sure. And, and you're not with mom and dad anymore. Like, well, how, what is, what is your memories of that? You said you were homesick. Like, how did you deal with that? And, and uh, you know, and what were your takeaways from that experience? Well, funny thing. Uh, my first billet there, super great people. They ended up, uh, they had three daughters in the house. So they all ate like little church mouses. There was no food in the house. So as a growing kid, it was the only reason I kind of left that billet because I wasn't getting fed. Like I can't have three pieces of broccoli and a bowl of soup. Like it's the way it is. Mm-hmm. So I ended up moving in uh, to another billet family there. And they actually had a 20 year old goalie there. And these people, it was like buffet style at dinner. It was go time. So, uh, you know, I probably would have stayed if I would have been with those people the whole year, I think, but um, a lot of collect calls home. That's for sure. Uh, it was just, 
it was tough. It was a tough year. You know, it's not easy being around 19 and 20 year olds when you're 15. Uh, you know, schooling was, I was still trying to do good in school. Wasn't that great, but I was still trying. And, uh, you know, that's when life starts to change as a young man, 15, 16, you know, girls come into play, uh, you know, especially being around 19, 20 year olds, drinking comes into play. There's a lot of things that uh, go on for sure. Right. But, uh, I probably would have stayed if I would have had that first uh, or that second billet family. I probably would have stuck it out, but uh, I think it was just, uh, it was the right decision to, to come home at that point. Right. Um, I actually probably played a little bit better commuting. I was uh, around my friends back home most of the time and it was only, you know, an hour drive to practice and whatnot, but uh, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't easy. Right. That's, uh, that's for sure. And now, because I'm, I'm getting that question asked to me quite often, you know, parents, right? Should we go the junior B route? Should we play major midget? What's, what's the best way? And, you know, I don't think that there is a blanket answer by any stretch of the imagination. No, no but chance, I do, right? But there, I do think, isn't. yeah, I don't, uh, but I do think that age is a very, very uh, b- big and important thing to consider because uh, midget, you are playing with kids your own age, right? Your own maturity yep. level into your yep. own things and kind of, I, I think the direction of those kids is important too, because everyone's still on the up. You know, everyone's still thinking they can go somewhere playing major, major. Sure. junior B. Sometimes that's not the case, as you know, right? No. You've got the 19, 20 year olds. They're on the downward side. They know they're not going anywhere. Maybe yeah. not the best environment. So, I mean, in saying that, what was your takeaway? Would you do that again? Or would you have maybe gone a different direction? Um, no, no regrets. Honestly, I, I, I look back uh, at my whole career, and I try and go with the, the no regret thing. Um, it, I just don't have time to go back and try and think about what would I have changed. It's so far gone that uh, I wouldn't have changed anything. Now, what I can say is what I recommend it for somebody else, like we're talking, I would, if you have a, a strong, mature 15 year old that uh, can handle himself and handle the pressure of being away or, uh, you know, handling 19, 20 year old guys that are, I know there's not much bullying anymore, but as we all know, there is a little bit still, mm-hmm. you know, it might not be, you know, go sit in the, in the bathroom on the bus for a three hour trip, but there's other ways that they, these kids can still do it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the mental, the mental side of it. So you got to have a strong 15 year old, 16 year old kid that you believe that you've uh, set on the right path and, you know, uh, can say no to people because there's a lot of temptation, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And the maturity is, and that's the thing, it's not, it's just being aware enough of, of the kid and the kid being aware enough himself to sort of figure out where they fit in that scheme. Because it's not easy to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm not mature enough for this, I'm not ready. You know, so it does sometimes yeah. take take an outsider perspective to, you know, keep the kid's best interest at heart. Um, the hockey is good, I think, and you know, not all junior B leagues are created the same either. No. Um, but no, the hockey, sure. you, you are, you are going to be tested, right? They're stronger, yeah. bigger guys, um, and, and it's good hockey. So I, I agree with you. I don't think there's a right way, but I think the, the personality does matter. Um, let's get in. So you, so you went from there, obviously had a good enough year, um, to, to get that in, to get drafted and yep, then to yep. get, get that, uh, to play as a 16 year old then, right? Correct. In, in the, in the O? No, I would have been 16 to start the year. Then I would have turned 17 at Christmas. Okay. So I was a six. So I was not an underager at that point. Right. I know they're all underagers now when they get drafted so yeah. it, or in the Ontario league, they are, it's a little different out West, 
Yeah. With the uh, Bantam draft. It's different in Ontario. Uh, so it'd be your minor midget year would be your draft year. Gotcha. So you step in as a 17-year-old, and because of your late birthday, uh, that was not your NHL draft year. So you had, oh, yes, yeah, so you had one year in the that. league, and then you would have your the next year to be your draft year. So Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's another question, too. I think we should touch on that for, uh, for a moment, because people are saying, well, you know, such and such team wants my kid in the WHL. I think he might be a third, fourth liner. You know, should we stay and, you know, whatever, play major midget again or something, right, and yeah. be the guy? And uh, I asked that tr- question to Trevor Latowski, who we've had on earlier, and, uh, and he was a big advocate of, of playing playing in the best league that you can. And, and, and I, he used, he used London Knights as an example, right? He was like, you know, these guys play in London. He's like, they're a hockey factory. They might not even see the ice their first year, but they're practicing. They're in that culture. They're in that organization. Yeah. And the next year they come out and they're shining. So he, he suggested playing at the best level you can. Is, and you, you seem to agree with that? I, I do. I think, uh, I think practice time is uh, obviously how you get better. Um, you know, we can get into the coaching side of it now, how I try and preach practice makes perfect all those things but uh I I agree with Trevor if you're not on the ice uh with the best players uh you know getting that speed uh you know watching them uh shoot pucks stick handle skating you know I I think you can take a lot just visually from watching uh certain players on the ice and you know especially when they're your teammates you see them you know for eight months out of the year on the ice and then uh you know see how they are in games see how they are off the ice there's lots of positives to take away from it yeah. And there's a lot to learn outside of actually being on the ice too, which I'm sure oh. you can attest to, right? Like, oh, I mean, how yeah. to even interact in that environment, you know, and in some ways, again, depends on the athlete, but it takes a little bit of pressure off because you are figuring all that stuff out that first year. And now you don't have to go out there and perform and worry if you're minus two or what the next shift looks like, right? Like it, it in some ways it's easier to manage. So um, it's interesting. And, and you should assume that you're going to be getting better coaching at the higher level too. You would assume. Um, you would right? assume. You would I'm assume not going to say that it's always going to happen, but you would assume it's going to be better, better facilities. Uh, you know, the gym, a lot of these major junior rinks are, you know, so dialed in now with the weights, the bikes, strength coaches. Uh, you know, they got lots of stuff there now where I don't know how you can go wrong, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then the other thing that I've, that I've touched on that, that maybe doesn't get talked about enough is that relationship with the coach and your coaching staff. So to come in, like to say in your scenario, if you didn't have that year or maybe you didn't play that much and you weren't in every game and, you know, the coaches are still watching you and they get to know you. Right. And you're getting familiar with the league. And now you step into that year two and you're not a rookie right? The coaches know you. You're not fighting for, for that, uh, you know, to be noticed. So I think that there's, I mean, that, that in itself is, is another reason I think to, to get there. If that's where you think you're going to go, then get there as early as you can. I think. I, I agree. I think there's nothing wrong with uh, going that year. And as long as you have the right attitude, you're that first guy on the ice, last guy off attitude, you're, you're going to get better. And the coaches are going to see that you're, you are in it, you know, to get better, which is huge. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, some people really preach playing time. I mean, I love games. Kids love games. We all love playing the games. I mean, that's I mean, we, we didn't start playing hockey so we could go to practice. You know, like I, I don't I don't pretend to say that's the end all and be all. But it, it is, I think, when you're really considering development, um, where who are you surrounded by? How much are you practicing? How much access do you have to ice? Um, and then the cherry on top is obviously getting the games and you want to be on the PP and you want to get your, you want to get your minutes. But um, I think that 
you know, patience in the process is, is sometimes overlooked. Um, Parents but, don't have that, buddy. We all yeah. know that. No, they I know. Don't. I they know. They spend, uh, you know, $1,000 on the new Bauer or True Skates and they got all this stuff and their, their kid doesn't play as much as they think. It's, uh, it's not easy on them either, right? Yeah, no, I know. And, and everyone has their, their self-motivated goals, obviously, right? That For sometimes sure. don't, don't always go in with maybe the direction of the team. But um, so let's talk about your draft year. So now here you have a, you, you have an okay season. Your draft year looked like you were, you know, you were doing okay, I guess. Maybe not as well as you would have liked. I mean, it says 40 games. Were you hurt that year? What was the, uh, the 40 games? That's all. Oh, was no, all... that was when you got traded or you, you moved. You moved that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got traded. Ninety-four, North, ninety-five. I got traded from North Bay to Sarnia that year, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, how many games was it in North Bay? Forty and twenty-seven in Sarnia. So now we're up to sixty-seven. You know, sixty-seven. That's a so full. It's a full season. A full yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, decent year. Uh, as you can see from the trade, I ended up getting a lot more power play time and things in Sarnia. I yep. think the numbers are way different, to be honest, aren't they? Well, yeah, same production in half the amount of games. So yeah, like you know I started, I mean? yeah, yeah, I started to get her going there, yeah. and um, great coaching staff there. Mark Hunter, as we all know, uh, you know, pretty much a junior hockey guy that just is, you know, he just won the junior championship with Canada. He, he's a real solid uh, coach and mentor, to be honest. Like he he grinded me down pretty good. To, right to to get her going yeah which was good though yeah sure what was his approach uh the glass is your friend like yeah can you stop trying to do everything on your own and uh you know he just taught me just yeah basically the glass is your friend like it's okay you can yeah. just get the puck out and then defend he was big on teaching me how to defend right uh try to teach me how to fight didn't work but uh real good guy so uh, that helped me along in that year. You want to know what? I, I was rated actually in the draft that year, I think third round. And I think I probably told you the story where, you know, when you're rated in the third round, you're like, okay, and don't forget back then, how many rounds was there? 15? Right, I don't know. There was a lot. Yeah. So I'm like third round, like, fuck, I have to get drafted. Even if it's in round 10, like, all right, whatever. So yeah. me and my family uh, fly out to Vancouver. The draft's in Edmonton drive from van to edmonton for the draft i don't get drafted oh my good god like what a crazy crazy day when you think your billets were bad in junior b try that day right and not not a lot of fun yeah uh, puts that chip on the shoulder i guess too right what um i instantly think of don cherry when i hear that story because i mean he he for years on coach's corner would have the kids on he'd say if you're not in the first round don't go Know. You know, he's like, don't go. He's heard too many stories. And um, and you're one of them, I guess, right? Because that's the thing. You just don't know, I guess. And I that turned out to be a... now. Like, I, it's true. Like, that was a tough, tough day. Tough. Right. And uh, a lot of questions unanswered, right? Yeah, because no one's answer- no one. There's no one to ask. No, Nothing. You can't ask your mom and dad. They're going to tell you everything that you, you, you want to hear, but it's not what you want to hear. Right. How did so, Mark help you with that or through that or did he? Uh well the next year it was funny uh john ferguson uh the late john ferguson you might know his son john ferguson jr who was the gm of the leafs there for a bit mm-hmm. 
So he was actually with the, the Ottawa centers at that time. And he called me the next day after the draft and invited me to training camp. So he kind of, uh, and he's a Windsor guy, hometown from where I'm at. So got a hold of me. So it took the sting away initially. Uh, so I guess I wasn't left unnoticed because I did get that phone call pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, as you know, going to a camp undrafted is way different than when you're drafted. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know. But, yeah, it, uh, it's it's different. It's different whether you're first round or a third round. It's different. First so. or second, you can yeah. go by round if you want. Yeah. So, uh, you know, being undrafted, I guess you really had to go out there and, uh, man, you had to work. Like it was time to work. Summers, like even shift to shift, there was no shifts off. Like I had to go because I had to get noticed. Right. Had to. Um. So you could then are now playing as an undrafted. Um. I guess free agent. Were you still eligible for the draft that second year, or was it? Yeah, uh, you yeah. were, and yeah, you never got drafted were. again. No, no, that's insane. Hey, because you had good numbers that second year. I got that right. That'd be ninety-five, ninety-six when you put up fifty-nine points and twenty-one goals. Yeah, that was a pretty legit year. That's a like, really good year. You're not a small guy. Skated well. You, you had a great thought, shot. You thought maybe like, but. Who knows? Maybe they didn't enter my name in there. I don't know what. That's crazy. So that might, but you, you seem to sound like maybe getting passed over the second time wasn't as a big deal to you personally as the first time. No, not even close. That first one killed me. Right. Second one. I hate not to say that you're used to it. That's not the right word, but right. you never, obviously you didn't go to the draft the second time. <laughs> Your expectations were different and lower. Were you not rated that, that second time as well? Uh, I'm not even sure to be honest. I'm right. not even sure. So you go through some big adversity there. There'd be a million people probably saying, you know, where do you think you're going or what do you think you could do? I mean, whether you heard that publicly or not, but I mean, to not get, it's hard enough to make it when you're drafted. Yeah. You want to know what? I went to another camp that year. I ended up going to uh, St. Louis's camp and uh, I actually had a real good camp there and they wanted me to go to uh, Worcester out of camp. And uh, I was like, how can I go to Worcester with no contract? when I can go back and play my overage year. Like, I can't just go to Worcester. Like I gotta, it's kind of like that. At least that's what my agent was telling me. Right. Right. And now that I look back, yeah, sure. Like why would I go there without a contract uh, to try and get one? I guess I right. figured I might as well go back to junior and have a great year and, and see what I can do from there. Right. And that turned out to be okay. Cause you had another good year. Now you're over a point a game as a D man. Um, looks like you had a really solid year in Sarnia and then you step out and you get, was it, was it a, it was a pro contract. Was it a, was it a minor league deal with Philadelphia? So, yeah, no, it was a full NHL three-year deal. So actually my D partner that year was a second round pick to Philly. This kid by the name of Shane Kenny, uh, just off the ice or off ice issues, just not, you know, all the talent in the world just couldn't put it together. So obviously Philly was at a lot of our games watching this guy and he was my D partner. So I basically got his contract minus the bonus. Right. It, basically. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. So uh, that came quick at the end of the year. It was like, oh my God, that was, it was something else to be honest. You never would have thought of it, you know, as you just, we went through the rap sheet. Like it wasn't, uh, wasn't expected. Wasn't expected. What you were hoping for, I guess, but not expected. And then, and then it comes. And uh, what, what yeah. was that feeling like? Uh, I, I knew it was time to even work harder, though. Like it was a, a small goal of not being drafted was to get that contract. 
And then from there, I just, I knew, I guess that was the time where I realized, okay, there is a chance. Right. Um, before I never thought there was. Um, but I, when that contract got signed, I'm like, okay, there is a chance. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting mindset, right? Because I don't know, I don't know what other guys would have done in your situation. Everyone's so different, but you know, I, I guess you're in the OHL. So why wouldn't you come back for an overage year? Maybe some people might've chosen another option or gone somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you said you didn't really think there was a chance, but you had to have had some inner belief that there was a chance or that there was a future for well, you after, in hockey. After going to two training camps, Ottawa and St. Louis, I knew I could skate with them. Like I knew I could skate with them and, and uh, I wasn't like, I was six, one, uh, one ninety at that point. So I wasn't small. I was the average, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't getting hit. I wasn't getting banged. I was moving pucks, skating. I guess I just, I needed the chance and there wasn't going to be the chance without the contract, I guess. Right. I can't go to another, a third training camp as an invite and shock the world again. Like it's just, you've been to camps in Toronto, the invites, they're, they're, they're fillers, they're spot. You know what I mean? They don't, you know, they're, they're not really watched as closely as you were the high draft pick guy. Yeah, no, I hear you. So you go to Philadelphia and, um, and geez, that's that's really that's quite a cool scenario there because one that's a pretty that was a big franchise at the time. Like the Phantoms were always quite good, really and good, uh, yeah. and it was cool that they were in the same city as the big club, which was super rare at the time, right? Because yeah, there was a lot was, of movement. It was, the, it was the first team, I believe. Yeah, and there was and the, which that. which created so much movement. I remember watching that in St. John's, right, when I was with Toronto and. I mean, you couldn't be farther away, it felt like, from your big league team, right? Yeah. Like, you had yeah. to have a flight, and, like, there's no way you're having a game day call-up, and, you mean, Zero all these chance. scenarios, right? And then, yeah. whereas I see these guys from Philly, they would go, if somebody would get hurt, they'd call a guy up. Maybe it was just for a game, but at least you're getting that cup of coffee, you're getting I'd that walk, experience. I had to walk across the parking lot. Right. You know, it was the old Spectrum, and then back there, whatever it is now, it was literally maybe 800 feet away through a parking lot. So, you know, you could even, it could be at 2 in the afternoon, and, okay, here he comes. Like there was plenty of those times as well. It must've felt, it must've made everybody on that uh, phantom team feel more connected and, and closer to where they wanted to get to. Wouldn't it? You knew there was a chance, you know, sure. obviously we all count the numbers when you're in the minors, you know, how many D they got, uh, who's hurt, you know, you all, you, you just, you have to know. Yeah. So, uh, and you kind of know where you're at in that situation, being in the minors, you know, you're counting, you know, I got to jump ahead of this guy. Like it, it is what it is. You gotta. You're trying to get to the NHL. You, you think of some weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, 100. percent I mean, and that's. We'll get into that maybe when we get into your coaching side. But that was always interesting. Like playing, playing on a professional team where people are paying money to watch you play, yet nobody really wants to be there. I mean, at at the heart of it. I mean, because you want to be somewhere else. You, yeah. you know, you, you want to be in the NHL, and that you're you're supposed to be striving in this team environment. That's plays better as a team, but yet you are very worried about the individual side and who you're better than and who you're getting more ice time than. It's, know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, crazy. it's a super crazy environment. I know. I was lucky my first year. We had an unbelievable team. Uh, my D partner that year, John Stevens, uh, coached LA, uh, you know, super competitive, intense guy. I, I'm lucky I had him because he kept me in my place where, you know, we won the Calder Cup that year. So, like, he kept me in line of where – the team goals will benefit you personally. And he taught me that early that year 
not to worry about anything else but the team. And, you know, the team, we, we did do great things. It was a great year. But there was a lot of guys from that team that made it the next year. Right. Mike, Mike Maniluk, Jim Montgomery. There's lots of guys that got, you know, NHL one ways from that team. Right. So, I mean, proofs in the pudding, right? It's great when, when what somebody like a veteran like that that's been around can preach it and it actually bears fruit. You know, it's, it's a heck Quickly. a lot easier to, yeah. You know, not like it's in year five when you're like, oh, I don't believe in the system. It's like, oh, well, okay. I see it. Right. I mean. That's a hard trophy to win too. <laughs> very tough. Yeah. We got to the final and we lost. We lost to, um, who do we lose to? Chicago. So another, yeah. another perennial great franchise yeah. there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a grind. I mean, that, that's a grind. And maybe even more so than the cup. I mean, I don't know. I never went on the cup grind, but like you're in buses going back and forth, right? To, through was, these game uh, seven battles. Yeah, there was, uh, I'm trying to think of who we played. There was, the only team that ended up been far was the finals. Uh, St. John, New Brunswick was the finals, but obviously we ended up flying there. But uh, mm -hmm. other than that, it was pretty close during, but it still was, you know, June. Like yeah. it's, it's a grind. Yeah, it's a grind. Yeah, good for you to win that. Thank you. Um, so you go into the you go you go up to Philly, uh, and like man, like I, I I looked at looked at that team, man. You like that's a star-studded team. Like that's we're talking legends, right? Like Lindros, Talkic, Brindamore, Recky. Like holy smokes! Like what Asia what was like, yeah? A ton of guys. What was it like Ron walking Hextall, into that room? Like shooting on Ron Hextall. Keep her down. <laughs> like you can't be buzzing the tower there. You know what I mean? Especially and would he come? Duncan. Would he come at you? You want to know what? It was funny. I, I my first NHL game in Pittsburgh. He was the starting goalie. So we're doing the horseshoe at the end of practice or the end of warm up. Yeah. And I throw one high glove on him, just bar down him. He comes in. He goes, and I thought it was. I thought I was dead. I'm going to be honest. He comes in. He goes. Just make sure you shoot like that tonight. I was like, Whew. okay. <laughs> it was pretty good. He was a good guy like that. That's funny. You know I what? I didn't, didn't hit him. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, first f funny story is that's my only goal ever in the NHL was against Ron Hextall in Amazing. Philly. Yeah. So I'm going to let him know. Yeah, that's pretty. Oh, do you still know him? You, no, but I'm going to uh, send him. I'm going to send him a message. <laughs> and another funny goalie story. So when I came up to Spokane for my first ever game, uh, had just turned 16. Uh, and, and was in Victoria. So we went to Victoria, met the team for the last two games of the regular season. And I'm in this room, obviously, like with all these, you know, older guys, which I mean, I'm, I'm like starstruck and nervous and all the rest of it. And, uh, and I can't remember who it was. I wish that'd be even better part of the story. But somebody before warm up came over to me and told me that our goalie, Scott Bailey, he goes, he loves it when you shoot, shoot five hole. He goes, you got to <laughs> shoot five hole on him. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. no clue, right? 16. So I come down, yeah, I shoot five hole. He kind of gives me a look. I come down again, shoot five hole score. Third time, that was when we had the full ice warm up in WHL. He legitimately chased me from his crease to the blue line with his stick. Warm up? You had full ice warm up in junior. You never heard of that? No. Because there's too many scraps. Teams were stealing nets and stuff. Like, <laughs> they, some teams were so tough in the dub, like back in the day, that they would take the other team's net and warm up both their goalies so the other team wouldn't are, have it. You can't even share out there, right? Eh? Like, you can't <laughs> I mean, share? I know. We had bad, we had bad habits. Like, so, yeah, refs, so when I, linesmen on the ice? Nothing? No, they wouldn't bring a linesman out. It was so, it was so ridiculous because if you're on the road, Delhi, like you had your whole 20-minute warm-up before their whole 20-minute warm-up. 
yeah, so, yeah. So your warm up, like you were cold, stone cold by the time the game started because it started like you were 45 minutes before the game started. Your warm up uh, was ridiculous. One of the weirdest things I've heard. Yeah, no, that was going on for a while. I think it's back to half ice now. But anyways, yeah, so Scott Bailey chased me to the blue yeah, line yeah, like yeah. he was going to kill me because because uh, oh one of the veterans told me to shoot five hole on him. But um, what was it like, though, back in that team? So in Philly, right? So you got you got Lindros, you got Taka, you got Recky. Like, what is your memory of that room? And, like, who, uh, who just had the presence for you? I didn't say a word. I was uh, – I literally sat there and didn't say much, honestly. Um <clears throat> I'm trying to think. Obviously, Lindros, the presence, like that was his nickname, the presence. Like, really? Like, he's that big and that, like, people just, but he was a great guy. People, you know, all the stories and you hear in the media, he's a good person. And, uh, you know, Mark Recky, phenomenal. Rick Tockett, you know, before the game, telling me to go run, guys, because I got your back. Like, okay. Like, Luke Richardson, my D partner. Like he was begging for me to slash somebody because he could just jump in and grab him. Like <laughs> it made my life a lot easier. And I think we won. Uh, we won the Eastern Conference that year. So like we were. That was a good hockey team. Yeah, really good hockey team. I was looking at that. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I was looking at those names, and um, I mean, I've I've done some looking up on Sidney Crosby and like what an influence Mark Recchi was for him, just from a leadership standpoint, and like what an influence yeah. he was, like. You know, you talk about presences and good guys, but was there somebody in there that you were just like at least drawn to in the sense of like, man, this guy's got to figure it out, or this is how I want to be, or this is who I should emulate? Uh, Mark Recchi as a forward, I guess that's who I looked like. That's who I watched a lot in practice, just how he did things. And then Luke Richardson, just as my D partner, just a mentor, um, you know, with his, his wife and his kids. Uh, he was just a guy that you know, took care of me off the ice, always invited me over and, uh, you know, beginning of training camp, don't stay in the hotel, come stay at my house. Like th that type of guy like that. He was, uh, he took care of me in a lot of ways. Did he walk you through like, I don't know, the nuances of the game and like, you know, the tricks of the trade or was it more just kind of being a friend and, and, and giving you an outlet and someone, someone to hang with? Uh, he was, he was real good. Uh, even when things weren't going well, he was so level-headed where you didn't even have to vent to him because he just – he went through a tough time in Philly as well. And we would just – I think he just liked not talking about hockey sometimes. You know, he was into motorcycles and he was into this. And, you know, just not talking about hockey sometimes with him just took your mind off of things. Yeah. You know, good or bad, right? I think that was the way a lot of guys dealt with it. Um in my experience, at least in yeah. the locker room, like a lot of guys, when they, when you weren't there, you, you were talking about something completely different, non-related. Um, sure. And I think that there is value in that. I just find that weird now or strange looking back because, you know, as a young guy, boy, like there were questions and there could have been questions, right. And there yeah, could have been stuff sure. to talk about, like with whatever it, it is, but um, I don't know. It just seems like the conversations never went there, uh, which, you know, I mean, good, bad, or indifferent. I just see, I, I go watch a lot of baseball and it seems like the pitchers are always dealing with the young guys and how to hold the curveball and what do you try yeah, here? Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it wasn't, I don't remember a hockey locker room be, really being like that, you know? Uh, I, no, maybe a little bit during the game on the bench, you would say. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I was open over there, take a look or, you know, throw a stick fake there and then turn this way. It's a little bit more during the game, I would say. Right. Than after. Yeah. 
because hockey's yeah. so quick. Hey, you can't really remember. Like, hey, remember that time in the second when that guy was forechecking? Why didn't you like like? It's getting forechecked all game. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, you know? no, good point. Did that influence of Luke, um, you know, feeling that mentor role, which is huge for a lot of guys. And, you know, I talk about it all the time, what a massively powerful influence that can be. Did that help shape you like later on when you were more in a veteran position that, hey, there's somebody I should reach out to here or, I, or make it a point to, to be that for somebody else? Um, I think I just took it upon – I think my last couple of years when I was over in Italy, I found a way to kind of relate to the young guys. Uh, and I, I would draw back experiences from Luke, just, you know, even like you said, having a guy over for dinner uh, means a lot. Yeah. Like, so there'd be times there where I just invite some of the young guys over or just any of the guys and just have them at your house or wherever you're staying, cook dinner, you know, obviously a few beers, some wine, whatever. But it was, uh, I think that's the one thing I drew from it the most was just allowing people into your life um, off the ice. Right. It's funny how they'll treat you at the rink. Yeah. Um, you know, during a game, uh, I think it's very valuable to, to have that friendship. And that's how I guess you build a really good team, to be honest. Yeah, it is the relationships, right? We talk about relationships all the time on here. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it, it's all oftentimes not about hockey, right? But it is relationship-based, right? It's guys, you care about guys, right? You care guys more about uh, more than just the number on their back, right? And trying to get For that sure. win. Um, For sure. So with with that, I mean, I, I do want to touch a little bit more on that year because you have, you, you went to game seven, I believe, if I did my data right, um, yeah. against the Devils who went on to win the cup in the next round. Um, you took out Pittsburgh the year before, I mean, the round before. And uh, and at the time, you might know this better than me, but you had a hat trick. And I, and you were the first first NHL rookie defenseman to have a hat trick in the NHL playoffs. How cool is that? And, and does that still stand? It still stands. Uh, my dad tells me every July when the playoffs are done that it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know what? When I look back now, Obviously, then you were on cloud nine. What you just got a hat trick in the playoffs? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, but now I look back, and I honestly I say, what a day! Like that. Like, how does that happen? Like to get three, not one, not two. And I watch it now. Somebody, some fan posted it on YouTube, and I'm like, I think I have the most views. I would assume, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was really cool and. Uh, I go back and think about it. And I'm like, how lucky was I? I honestly, how lucky, not just to make it, play some games, but to have a record in the NHL. Like that's mind boggling to me now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's super crazy. Cool. Um, crazy. And against a good squad. Yeah, I mean, everything about it, right? I mean, like it's just like you're chasing that holy grail. You're, you're, against, you're against an amazing team. Um, you know, I mean, you're, you're with an amazing team. Like I even looked at the stats that year and, and – uh, you know, you tied for second on the team in, in playoff goals that year with, I mean, with the likes of Lindros and LeClaire and, you know, I mean, all these names, right? And there's Andy Delmore and obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but not as recognizable at the end of the day. But I mean, not you even had, close like, yeah, but that was your moment, right? And then yeah, it was, uh, and I also saw that overtime winner, right? An overtime winner in that playoffs. That was actually two games before. And I'll, I'll honestly say that was the biggest goal I've ever scored in my life. The overtime winner. We were down 2 nothing. First two games at home to Pitt, we lose. So now we're going to Pitt for two, down 0-2. Yeah. 
score in game three to make it the series two to one instead of three nothing. Yeah, yeah, now you have a chance. It's the biggest goal I ever scored. Yeah. By far. Not even close. Describe it. Um describe it. I Keith Jones carrying the puck up the right side of the ice. I think I can't remember who I beat up the ice. I don't want to sewer anybody either. (laughs) (laughs) They were tired. They were tired. Yeah. So I jumped up. And if you talk to Keith, he said he could hear me from a mile away yelling for the puck. He threw it across. I'm kind of high slot. I take it on the backhand. It was out in front of me as a righty. And just basically flipped around it and just shoveled it top shelf. I didn't really snap it. I just took it on the backhand, worked my body around it. And somehow got it up high enough on Tugnut over the glove. That's so, awesome. Uh, so it was a two-on-one then? You, you made it a two-on-one by joining I the I did make it a two-on-one. And actually, I got it away so quick that the D-man really didn't have a chance to come over on me. Right. Because I, I knew he was coming. And I knew I just had to hit the net. I wasn't aiming. Like, I, didn't, I wasn't going high glove. Right. Like, I just said, okay, if this hits my stick, it's going to be off as fast as it can. Yeah. Sure enough, just happened awesome. to go where it was supposed to. How great is that? Yeah, it was a cool moment. Oh, Very awesome. Cool. Um, so I, how do you end up in, in Nashville? And I mean, and we'll touch on Nashville quickly here and you know, I mean the success you had there, but what, what, uh, was it just the end of your contract and Philly didn't want to renew or what, what went on? No, they had some young guys coming in, uh, likes of Kim Janssen. I don't know if you remember him, uh, mm-hmm. played for the Rangers as well. They had him come in free agent, uh, just some young kids coming in and just, uh, felt I was expendable. I would, would assume, right. uh, you know, obviously leaving Philly, arguably one of the best hockey markets in the U.S., going to a young, young franchise in Nashville. It's not, it wasn't like it is now, that's for sure. You know, we weren't very good, and the crowd was okay. But uh, it was a little bit of a shock. You know, but I guess, you know, funny thing is being traded in junior kind of set me up for it. It's not – it's never easy. Yeah. You know. Yeah, maybe you can expand on that just a little bit because I've, I mean, I had Brad Larson on here. I, I've alluded, I've told my story a little bit with the different teams that I was on, like from the difference to me being with a team like, let's even say Toronto, which is a huge hockey market, which is the biggest you know, one in the world. Yeah, but they were terrible when I was there, right? It was just before they started making the playoffs against. So they had missed the playoffs five years in a row. Like the, the way that felt there compared to like going to Detroit, for instance, yeah, for camp was like, night and day you know same thing with the kings right and and i'm sure you can speak to that a little bit like you said being in something that is a story does the flyers coming off successful run right good team now you're going to a place that's just essentially trying to figure it out i if you look at my numbers i actually excelled in that situation in nashville because there was no pressure i could just go do my thing uh we weren't expected to win weren't expected to make the playoffs uh just give an honest effort every night and you kind of have to, you know, let the chips fall where they, where they may, because we weren't that good. I think our salary was equal to Lindros and Recky's contracts. Like that was our whole team. You know what I mean? We didn't have much going on there. Uh, We did have a great coach in Barry Trotz, who's done obviously remarkable things, but uh, we weren't expected to do much. And I just excelled in that, uh, that non-pressure cooker situation. Right. What do you think about that worked for you? Like, I know you're saying the pressure, but like, how did that, do you think that changed, changed you as a player on the ice? Uh, just more free. Just uh, wasn't thinking, just letting my reactions take over. Uh, I got into a great rhythm, a good routine. 
obviously I was pretty finicky with some things before the game. It just got rolling and uh, almost felt like I, every shot I'd take was going in or, you know, every play I made was the right one. Right. Uh, you just, some days you just get that going and it's uh, hard to stop. Yeah, no, it's special when you get on a roll. I mean, I, in my, in my research here, I mean, you went 16 goals, 18 goals, um, which are big numbers for defensemen in any era. Um, that one year, though, in 0203, 18 goals was tied for the NHL league lead. And I'm going to throw two names out there. I'm sure you know them, but our listeners are going to swallow their own tongues. Gonchar and Lidstrom. So Andy Dalmore ties the NHL lead league for goals scored with Gonchar and Lidstrom with 18 in the 0203 season. Like, how cool is that? I wish that my kids knew who Lidstrom and Gonchar were. <laughs> <laughs> well, you they're know. legends. I mean, one of them might be one of the best defensemen, second best defenseman probably to ever play. I never saw Bobby Orr, but I hear that he was ridiculous. And he was definitely the best of our era, without question. Not and Gonchar, what, he just went into the Hall of Fame, didn't he? Uh, if not, he should be. Yeah, I think he just went in or he got yeah. nominated or something. And there was, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, regardless, two huge names. Yeah. Um, and and like you said, I mean, that's that's no small feat, you know? So So good on you for that. And like, how does... How does that turn into – I want to talk about that, how that turns into 37 games played and two goals in Buffalo. What, what is – how do you think that, that whole thing turns out the way it did? Um, not feeling free. Honestly, not. Uh, new team. Uh, just getting to know the guys was a little tough. Uh, coach, I wouldn't say love my defensive game there. Um, not that I think it was horrible. It wasn't horrible. I was in the NHL. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't where he wanted it to be. And then I, I think I talked to you this summer. That's kind of when the, some anxiety and stress came into play. And it just, uh, I didn't know much about it then. And uh, I was putting pressure on myself. I had a new contract. It was, uh, it, it was not a great year. Right. No, not good at all. Yeah, that's tough. Environment means a lot. And uh maybe we'll get into the coaching aspect. You know, you said you had Barry and you had Barry in Nashville. You had Lindy, uh, Lindy Ruff in, in Buffalo who I had in Florida and, uh, and who's now an assistant coach with the Rangers with a good buddy of mine, Dave Oliver, who's also assistant coach there. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Lindy's been around for a long time and, uh, and everyone has their guys and their way of doing things, you know, and that's sure. sort of an interesting thing, but can you walk us through, I mean, Cause that, that is so compelling to me, uh, Delhi, like tying Lidstrom for goals, you get, it was a free agent signing then by Buffalo. Is that what happened? No, that was a trade. So after the 16 goal season, I ended up getting a good two year deal from Nashville. So once again, Nashville, I don't, I don't know why people get traded. It is what it is. I can't explain it. Right. Yeah. So I, I go to Buffalo and uh, so I'm on, expiring my last year that deal one year deal i mean one way deal i assume yes yes okay yeah. so good good one way deal um you're on your last year of that buffalo trades for you so they want you yeah. yes right? which which yes. is interesting their power, right? their power play was not great uh which i don't know how with the likes of danny Breer, chris drury like there were some good players there still mm-hmm. um it just didn't click it just didn't happen um I was fighting it. Uh, you know, I was kind of, it's funny. People don't realize Kimo Timonen 
how great of a hockey player he was uh, in Nashville. I know he had moved to Philly after Chicago, but in Nashville, lights out, one of the best power play guys feeding pucks. He's unreal. Right. Amazing. Then you go to a new team, you got different guys. It just didn't work out. Right. Just a, right. You know, so you, you're saying that uh, that's a that's a pat in the back for for Kimo to saying oh. you know your success you 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 can say thank you to him for some of it. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do anything out there by ourselves. That's for sure. And we do get no. a partner or a line combination or whatever. Sure. I remember sometimes like I would just love some of the centermans I had. Right. We just worked together. It just was better for whatever yeah. reason. Not because somebody wasn't was a better player per se than somebody had else. Nothing but to it, do with anything like that. It's just yeah. you got the mojo going together and. Uh, like we talk about on the bench, you know, you're always talking, figuring it out and, or even sometimes you're not talking, you just know where they're at. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, I, Danny has been a guest of the podcast and, uh, what an awesome interview we had. And, and he talked to his time there. Was he wearing the C at the time? Was he sharing it with Drury when you were there? Uh, Cause there was a co-captaincy there at one time. I'd have to think, uh, no, I think it was, who was it? James Patrick. Alexei Zitnik, Miroslav Shatan. Miroslav Shatan had a letter? Unfortunately, yes. Oh, wow. That surprises me. Yeah. Um, that, that was the year that Drury got traded there. I think they were, it was in the process. That was the year of kind of the changeover of the leadership group, I guess you could say. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause then Buffalo went on, I mean, not too long after to actually have a couple of real good runs there. Yeah, so, I mean, sure. the, yeah, things got turned around pretty quickly and Danny talked about that and how he really ended up really like that was what he remembers most fondly almost is some of those runs with that team, like just how, yeah, how yeah. tight they got and how far they went and what they were yeah. able to accomplish together. And that was really cool to listen to him speak about that. But um yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to beat this thing to death, but this is exactly what I'm talking about, right? But this is what, like, my, essentially, my mission is, is, like, that it's hard, right? And you, you can go from up here, cloud nine, to down here, and 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 it's like, and then what? Like, how do we deal with that? Like, what how do we did deal you, with it? yeah, uh, what did, what did you I, learn? I wish, well, I learned a lot. I didn't, uh, I know, I guess we're, I, I, edu I was educated. I didn't learn. I educated myself. There you go. That's you know a good way I mean? to put it. Yeah, that's a good I wish way to put I would have learned more. Yeah. Uh, I guess I got an education for later on in life on how to deal with certain situations. It's you need. It's not easy. You know what I mean? We we talk about it all the time. It's not easy making. It's not easy. You know, getting. It's it's just not an easy league to be in. And um, like I said, the anxiety and the stress kind of crept up on me and got me a little bit where I wasn't in a great state of mind to even be playing. Uh, it wasn't good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so when they put me on waivers and sent me down to Rochester, um, I wasn't surprised. I was like, you're right. Like, I'm not playing well. Uh, went to Roch. Did okay. I kind of felt a little bit better there, I guess. Uh, Randy Connerworth, Doug Huda, two great guys kind of accepted me. And I wasn't there too, too long before I got traded to Boston. But uh, I just wasn't in a great place mentally. Right. If you could mind. grab, if you could grab Andy, like how old were you in in Buffalo there? Do you know? 20, it was a year before Mannheim, bud. Okay. So you were 28, looks like maybe. No, less than that. Oh, four. You were born in 76. Oh Six. yeah. Okay. Right. Um, so what could you, what would you say? What would you say to, to Andy? Like now, like if you could go back there, 
and say, you know, in those first month or whatever, like what would, what would you, what would you talk about? I, I think I'd have a better, I'd go right into Lindy Ruff's office and sit down and have a real man to man conversation to be yeah. honest and figure it out. Right. That would yeah. be, it would have helped a lot of things. Yeah. And uh, I would have told him how I was feeling with some of the anxiety and the stress. Um, he would have understood me more. We could have worked on it together. And as a group, as a team organization, we could have figured out how to get it, how to get me better. And uh, honestly, I think that's all it would have taken. Yeah. That's really interesting insight. Do, do you feel that you kind of bore that yourself? Like you weren't, you didn't want to feel broken or talk like you were broken to somehow protect, protect Nobody who you does. were. Nobody does. Well, maybe they do now with all the, the things that have come out with the mental health and, you know, a lot of the, the, the issues that that's going on at that right. point, nobody wanted to talk about it. Right. You, you know that you played with Wade Belak, you played with a lot of guys, like nobody talked about it. Yeah. You know, sad, but true. Like it just didn't happen. Yeah. I do think that's, and it's not even necessarily like getting into, you know, the depths of depression or anxiety, like not even talking about that level of mental health. But I just think that like the, what, what I like to celebrate now is that the emotion, like whatever that emotion is, it exists. Just because you're a hockey player doesn't mean that you don't experience anxiety or sadness sure. or sure. any of these things, right? But we're so conditioned from such a young age to be this gladiator warrior mindset that For if sure. you do feel those things, like it, one, you're trying not to feel it. You don't want to feel it. You don't want to acknowledge it. You're wondering and the last why it's thing happening to you. Right. And the last thing you want to do is tell somebody else about it. For sure. Um, so I think now, like, I do think it's a way healthier spot because yeah, if we, if we can be vulnerable enough to be able to say, Hey man, struggling right now, don't want to be, but I am. I am. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, and I'd love to have some help here. And I, I think the game is, is changing rightfully so. And, and I don't know how you feel. Maybe that is a good segue into your, into your role now as a coach. Like, do you, I think there's a place for a coach and a mentor in the mental health game that doesn't have to be somebody that's a PhD or a, or a sports psychologist or somebody like that. Like, do you yeah. feel that there's a spot there to, to help some guys through some stuff? Well, I can give you a small example of a player that we had uh, two years ago who uh, came into my office crying one time. And I was like, you know, why are you crying? He's, and he basically said, I'm not feeling good. Um, I'm having a tough time. I'm like, well, okay. So I kind of told him my experience of how in Buffalo I wasn't feeling good. And um, luckily enough, our team now has a, we have a lady that you can go talk to. But uh, I think me telling him that I'd gone through it as well, you're going to be okay. It happens to everybody, not just non-hockey players. I think it helped him go, oh, okay. And uh, he kind of opened up about why, is you know, his girl – uh, you know, just some things. And I think it helps when you hear it from somebody like, like we talked about, it's like the whole bell, let's talk thing. Like, it, let's just talk about it. Let's get it out. And it, like you said, it doesn't have to be uh, to the point of, of suicidal or the real major depression, anxiety and depression. They're kind of, you know, they coincide obviously, but it could be very little for a hockey player with the stress and the anxiety to throw you off your game. Yeah. So why yeah, not? Yeah. Let's, let's be a hundred percent mentally dialed in for the game. Yeah. As we all know, that's a lot of hockey too, right? So, uh, 
you know, it's a small thing that I think is obviously we're getting way better at it for sure is talking about it and uh, helping, helping the kids get through it. It's, it's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. And uh, I mean, the other thing is too, and that's what I'm talking about. And we, even with the pe people that I'm working with, the players that I'm working with now and like their teens and stuff is like understanding that, 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 that those emotions you know, are there and we need to learn how to manage them, right? Because not only is it is it for a mental health and just like life, right? Being able to for manage sure. life, but yeah. it's also a high performance habit, right? Sure. I mean, like, like you said, that you cannot play well, anxious, depressed, um, squeezing your stick too hard, right? Like all the all these all these things is like, that's not going to let you be your best player. So why don't we start talking about that kind of stuff before you're in the throes of it? Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, because you can't prepare for the storm when you're in the storm. It's impossible. It's really hard, right? It makes it worse. So I think that those conversations, like you say, like the let's talk and like, and, and, and as a coach, I mean, that's one thing I'm doing with 10 year olds now is like, and I think, it, and I think it's a, I don't think there's any difference between dealing with a 10 year old or a 20 year old, like that environment needs to be safe. It needs to be safe. They need to have fun as we always talk about. Yeah. And uh, enjoy what they're doing. hundred percent. And if you don't have an outlet for like feeling embarrassed because you can't do something right or making a mistake on the ice or I mean if that's if that's not okay then all of a sudden that's not a safe place and in a professional oh. level like it's even worse because now you're coming down on yourself so whether that is a whether it is a professional like a, you know a sports psychologist or whether that is Andy Delmore who's the who's the who's the bench guy for the D-men and 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 number six feels comfortable coming and talking to you you know that person that player needs somebody uh, and I'm and I'm a pretty staunch believer in that yeah we got to make it fun you know what I mean? Especially like you said, with the 10 year olds and whatnot, you know, having fun, being their outlet, being a mentor, you know, especially with the, the amount of, you know, stuff that you've done in your life, hockey life, we got to teach the young kids. That's uh, what we have to do. Yeah. And that emotional management is a big part of that, which, which I have made synonymous with mental toughness. I think, you know, mental toughness kind of back in our age was, uh, you know, essentially not having any of these weak emotions. If you're mentally tough, you just didn't feel pain, Oh, sorrow you play the next day after concussion that's mentally tough right you know what i mean so you <laughs> rock and roll that way and i think yeah. now it was what i'm talking about mentally tough is just being able to understand your emotions and manage them yeah. um not too high and, not too low right yeah being able being able to, to ride that out what uh what do you see now in your role um as uh as the assistant coach for you're with toledo right yes yeah so assistant coach with toledo east coast hockey league franchise um First of all, actually, maybe tell me what you think the mindset is of your average player in the East Coast League. Like, it, they're there doing what? What do they want to do? What are their goals and dreams? They all want to play in the NHL. Every one of they them. Do. I would yeah. assume so. The, yeah. You might get the odd one that doesn't. But uh, if you look at the numbers these days, uh, the amount of guys from the ECHL that make it the NHL, they're rising. They're rising quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of teams are putting their resources in not, to not just their triple-A team, but now their double-A team, which would be our league. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of contracted players in our league. Uh, that's NHL and AHL contracts. So they're investing in this bigger uh, pool of players that they have that have the chance to make it. Yeah. And they do so, make uh, it, like you said. They do. Yeah, I was just and looking at my phone this morning, uh, goalie – uh latvian kid 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 vicious can't even say his name uh played in kalamazoo last year started for columbus last night 
like it, it happens quick. Yeah. That's you know, super that's one, cool. That's one year's time. And he's gone from the ECHL to the, to an NHL start. Right. Goalies are a little bit different because there's only six of them within an organization, but uh, it, it can happen still. Yeah. I just saw on my Facebook feed yesterday that Glenn Metropolit was uh, inducted into the East Coast Hockey League uh, yes, Hall of last Fame. Night. Yeah, last yeah. night. And uh, anyways, I remember him in the NHL. I remember playing against him in, in the AHL. Um, yeah, yeah. And you I mean, again, at that time, there wasn't as many guys that would make to make that jump. Uh, and I never experienced East Coast Hockey myself, but it, I do... I find that compelling because, and it makes sense to me now, really actually understanding the development curve of guys that is different. Um, And not everybody is where they're going to end up at at 21 or 20. Right. And if that's where you go, or maybe the depth chart does depends on the organization. Like there's so many factors involved there. And, uh, and that league's the real deal now. I mean, it's not, it's not a slap shot type league anymore. No, no, not. We still, I will say this, there still is some fights, uh, but it's not like it used to be. You know, there's some real good hockey players. Obviously, the coaching staff in Toledo, I'm being a little bit pumped the tires. We try and do everything we can, uh, you know, from video. Uh, we try and make it as good as we can for these players. We're mimicking the Red Wings or Grand Rapids. We want to we wanna have them ready to, when they do get called up to, to succeed. Right. That's awesome. Do you uh... – you're you're in it now. What are your? Do you have personal goals, dreams within within the uh, the coaching realm? Is this something that you see yourself doing for a while? Um, you want to know what? It, I have two young kids, and uh, like you said, me and you, we moved around quite a bit, and uh, I enjoy being at home right now, coaching in Toledo. I do have a little bit of a commute, but uh, obviously, one day I'd love to take this as far as I can. But I have other people involved now that I have to take care of. Right. So. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd love to be an NHL coach, but I have to take care of some other people as well. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That's a really hard, you know, decision. I think it is a decision and it's a choice, yeah. right? Even, yeah. even with what I'm doing right now, you know, it's hard even being around one of my sons and not the other two as much, you know, and I could imagine sure. if I was riding a WHL bus and, you know, leading the Spokane chiefs, let's say, and my kids are at home and I don't know what they're doing. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't think there's a right or wrong. Again, it's, it's completely individual, but uh, sure. at, at this point, um, I love where I'm at. I love being around my kids and, yeah, uh, you know, sure. there's lots of life left. So who knows, you know, where, where, where all that goes, um, yeah. with you and in your role now as, as coach, like what, what do you feel you can provide these guys or what do you, like, how do you go about your business with, 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 I mean, you're, you're in the development business, really. I mean, yeah. that's, you still want to win. You're a pro team, but you are developing players, uh, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah. Would that be what you, what you would describe yourself as, as doing? I'm trying to help, help these players achieve their goals, basically. Uh, if it's uh, to get an NHL deal, to get, uh, to get better in hockey, just if they get a good job in Europe, they make it to the A. Everybody has different expectations and different – you know, leveling points, but I have to help them. That's my job. I got to help them. Bottom line. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, uh, through great communication, uh, being their friend, you know, I'm not a guy that's going to bench you all too often because I don't have time for that. If you're going to make the same mistake again, you, you might not play the next game because, you know, we, we are in the business of, of winning as well. But, uh, I really think just through all the, you know, we we talked about three or four years of my career. 
you know, there was 15 of them there. Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of hockey and a lot of experiences that I love to share and, and love to teach. And, uh, I think me and you talked about this off the air was, uh, you know, I'm still able to skate and, and kind of show them what to do, yeah. which I think is huge. I think if they see me, they see some footwork, maybe some stick detail, uh, how to jam a guy up in front of the net or, uh, you know, the whole stick on puck thing. Well, there's different ways to, to do the stick on puck too. Right. So uh, I think the fact that I can still kind of do it and they can visually see it is one of one thing I'm really good at as well. Right. No, that's great. Yeah. Um, do you, how do you, I mean, every, every personality is different. And, and when I, when I'm talking with, with, with these kids on an individual level, I mean, some are shy, you know, some are outgoing. It's just like a locker room, right? It's anywhere. I For mean, sure. you have all walks of life that are going to be in a hockey dressing room. Um, let, let's assume that they do all want to get better and they all want to develop. Um, do you as a coach now recognize that, oh, I think this guy wants to get somewhere, but he's not coming to me with, he doesn't want, he's not asking me for extra stuff. Like, do you go out of your way to, to try and push that? Or are you waiting for some guys to come to you and say, hey, man, I want to get better? You want to know what? We're lucky enough in our organization, we did this predictive index test, which uh, basically a personality test. So before even the season starts, I have a little bit of a, an in on what these guys are like. Um, there's about 11 different categories they can fall into. And it, it just shows, um, you know, some guys need love. They don't want to be yelled at. You know, if you did, so there's all different ways uh, that we're able to have now to, to get to know them. You know, obviously I think a lot of the kids that are on NHL and AHL contracts, they want it. They're the first on the ice 90% of the time. Obviously some of the ECHL contracts, they don't have the strive sometimes, it, but it's yeah. okay. It, it's not, it's not a negative. It's um, them still loving the game. Um, they know they might only have a few years left. So you'd be surprised how much they give her during the games. Right. Cause they know they're, they're running on board. Like they don't have a lot of time left in it. Yeah. So uh it's a it's a real interesting facet at our level where there's so many different contracts and so many guys uh they're all there because they love the game but some of them love the game because it, it's hopefully going to take them somewhere farther right yeah and there's a different level of commitment different different level yeah, of, of sure. want yeah. um how much influence and this is something i don't want to i don't want to uh bias your answer but in the ahl in in the chl i took i took for granted I think the amount of influence the coach has on your next step you know whereas I thought okay I'm going to be in the AHL here as long as I'm producing right as long as I'm as long as I'm scoring goals um, things are going to take care of themselves right and 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 I don't mean that I was rude to my coach or I was anything I mean I, I was respectful whatever but I never did anything necessarily to cultivate that relationship you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to, to let him know what I wanted or to be what, however you want to, however you want to phrase that. But I, do you, does your head coach or you ever get questions from whether it's the guy in the A or whether it's somebody on the big club, like what's this guy like? What, 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 how does he tick? No, they want to just know how's he doing? Is he getting better? Right. Okay. Is he getting better? Is yeah. Kenny, can he play at the next level? Yeah. Um, I guess that's the, the biggest question we get. Okay. But that's a big question. Yeah, that's that's all they want to know. Yeah, and that and that I guess is what really my question was. And like, so if you have a guy that's coming to you, and I'm just trying to paint the story for these young guys listening, right? If you if you have somebody that's coming to you, 
and and he wants to work with you before practice and you're working on retrievals or whatever the case may be yeah. you're watching this guy you're you know what type of dedication he has and when that phone rings you're like yeah he's getting better I'm working with him every day i mean this guy has a desire he wants to play you know like that message goes a long way don't you think the message goes a long way but his play improves as well. Right. It's it's not even it's not a joke. Like I don't. Just, oh, he's a hard worker. He comes out early. We've had guys do that that aren't that good. They just they don't get it. But I guarantee ninety percent of the guys that are out there working on things, they're getting better. It's yeah. impossible not to. So you know, just for the listeners, like as me and you, I remember in in, in Mannheim, me and you were the first guys out there. And the last guy's off on a consistent basis, you know, with Cristobal Huey shooting pucks and like, it was, we were out there for a long time yeah. and, you know, we were into our thirties or late twenties at that point. Yeah. And we were still wanting to get better. I think that's uh, sometimes it's inside you a little bit, but uh, you got to have that will to get better every day. Yeah. And I think that is something that, uh, you know, because we're not, we're not, you don't have the highest motivation every single day. I mean, it's not like we all, we always wake up and, and I think that's where a good support team comes into. I think that's where I, I feel my job, at least as a coach, you know, if I can recognize maybe somebody's having an off day and I don't make it be, feel like he's a bad guy because of it, but I try and do my best to, to bring him up. up, you know, yeah, and get him going. Sure. Yeah. Um, really interesting. I, I, you know what, Cristobal, I mean, gosh. Can we spend maybe two minutes on this guy? Just because, like, my memory of him, Cristobal Huey, for those listening, uh, was in the NHL for a while, uh, played for Montreal, which is where I think he had his, uh, his LA, best. I remember he started in L.A. Yeah. And then uh, he ended up, I don't know if he got traded to Montreal or free, unrestricted free agent, but he got a bank load yeah. in Montreal. And played well there, though. I mean, he, he played well. Yeah, Real really well. good. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, for those of you, so he comes over during the lockout year and he plays with us in Mannheim. And uh, one, like just an absolute top shelf dude. Like wow. I, I, I love this guy. But for an NHL player to come over to, to in the lockout and you might have, I don't know, I just had kind of a notion like these guys aren't, they're kind of on vacation. They're still getting there, you know, they're yeah. getting paid and they're keeping themselves mobile. But, you know they're not here to win a championship. Let's say, you know, this isn't, this isn't make or break for them. Cristobal Huey played every practice, every second he was on the ice. Like it was game seven of the Stanley cup final. I just, I just never experienced that before to this date still like that level of intensity um, in any position. Do you remember that from him? I, I just remember he would be like, he would go out for lunch after and he'd be mad that we scored on him. Like he's still at practice. It's like, hey, let it go. We're at lunch now. Like, you know, he'd still be mad. Yeah. Like, and he'd be trying to figure out how he was a goalie, just so everybody knows. But uh, he 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 just couldn't. Uh, he did not like getting scored on. Like Ever. he hated it. Hated Ever. it. Yeah. And that's one thing. I mean, and boy, did that make us better. Like it oh, actually, he, he crushed my confidence a little bit because I, I had the hardest time scoring on him. I'm talking an entire practice. I would maybe go without scoring on him. You got to buzz uh, power on him quick. Let him know. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that, that, uh, then that did make, you I mean, whether, whatever it did for my confidence, I think that makes a team better when you have somebody showing that type of an example and that type of leadership, but like, yeah. especially as a goaltender position, I got a lot of goaltenders that listen to this. Like, my gosh, you can make your team so much better if you come with that type of, uh, mindset to a practice it's it's absolutely insane um yeah. yeah those were those were that was a real interesting year that lockout year and and i know that we 
I mean, it's just, look at this. We've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes, Deli, and that's the way it goes every time. Yeah. Um, I know there was a ton of stuff here that, I mean, we could, we could go through, you know, Hamburg and, and back to Chicago, back to the NHL with Columbus after Mannheim. And you I mean, know. you, you went over to Italy and I mean, there's so much that we could touch on, but I mean, I think, I think we covered a lot and, uh, sure. and I know you got to sure. get to practice and I really appreciate you, you know, spending the time with me. But if there was, if there was one thing you want to leave us with, if there's like one piece of advice you could give to, let's say a Bantam hockey player or a midget hockey player out there that wants to get to the NHL, what would, what, what would you say to him? Uh, every shift, it, don't take a shift off. Just go out there and have fun and work and enjoy the game, but work as hard as you can because you just, you don't know. And we you use my hockey DB, go back and look. You just don't know sometimes when it's going to happen. Right. Yeah, that's a great way to leave it. Um, my first interview here was with um, Kevin Peterson, who's a Western scout for the Arizona Coyotes. And yep, he yep. touched on that just saying from the scout perspective, right, like how important consistency is. Because he's like, sure. I got so many guys to watch. And he's like, I might see you for five, six shifts. So if those aren't great shifts, I'm, I'm, I don't know the difference. And I'm on to somebody else. I'm right? so, a page on you. Yeah, well, 100%, sure. right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's just really interesting. One, because it's about character and it's about who you are and what your identity wants to be, you know, like yeah. who, how people remember you. And two, it, it mean, you never know when that opportunity is there. You don't know. You, you never don't know. know who's watching. You don't know. Uh, you don't know who's calling your coach to ask questions about you. You, you just be a good person, be a great teammate, and enjoy uh, enjoy the rink. Love it. I love it, Andy. Um, so much good stuff there. Really, Thanks, really want to thank you for coming on. And uh, Appreciate is it. there any place, like, I know you're probably not really into um, the social media side, but if somebody wanted to follow you, is there any place that they can, they can find you? Uh, they can go uh, Instagram, Delhi Lama, uh, D-E-L-L-Y-L-A-M-A. And I believe it's at, uh, I don't know my Twitter handle anymore. I'm very rarely on it. Okay. Well, uh, well, if you want to find Ed Deli, then he's on Instagram. Um, his wife's super active on there and she has a good yep. account to follow too. And, and, and in the photography business and um, just want to wish you the best of luck the rest of the year. Thanks buddy. And, all um, the best to your, all your boys and all their uh, tournaments and backyard yeah. skating. It's uh, you're doing awesome, buddy. It was uh, great to reconnect with you for sure. Awesome partner. Have a good hey, one. Man. Thanks. Bozzy. See you buddy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, that interview uh, brought a smile to my face, and it does even when I listen to it here again. Uh, Andy's a real, real good dude. He cares. He's, he's, a, he's an authentic guy that cares about the people that he's around and cares about the people that he works with. And, uh, and that he was so gracious today to spend that much time and to be so vulnerable and open with his own story there, um, especially his time in Buffalo. That is such a, a compelling part of his story, to go from being tied for the league lead in defenseman score in the NHL to finding his way into the minors the very next year and uh, and his personal uh, struggle with that is is not something that's rare right that's the thing that we have to that we have to understand is that there is adversity in this sport and there's things that happen and there's real deal issues that happen between your ears and and how we deal with that and how we choose to deal with that and whether we have the skill set to deal with those things um, are all very, very relevant. And just the fact that we're talking about things like that make it that much easier for those of you uh, listening to the podcast, whether you're hockey players or whether you're just uh, out there doing your thing in, in the world, is that these, these emotions exist and, uh, 
and there is ways to deal with them and 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 there's other people that are going through the exact same thing so i really enjoyed the conversation today um and he had so many good things to say and and once again if you guys are enjoying the content here please reach out um Andy, I'm sure would love to hear from you. Let him know on social media. He's at he's at Delhi Lama, as he said there at the end of the interview. D E L L Y L A M A. Let him know what you thought of the episode. Uh, let me know and uh, and share and subscribe and like. Let's keep this podcast growing. Um, it's awesome to see new listeners every week and to see the repeat listeners keep coming back. So. I uh, really appreciate the support and, and what you can do uh, for me is to uh, keep supporting and keep sharing. So hope everyone has a great week and uh, we have another great guest coming on shortly. Thank you.